very often when I have uh, artist talks or sort of feedback sessions, I offer a caveat to everything that uh, everybody in this room is crazy. Every one of you has a mental health issue. Right. Now, if we can, if we can just put that aside, we can start talking about what it means to uh, have support systems, what it means to have access to care. Uh, you know, some of the bigger issue kind of things. If we understand that we're all insane, then it comes down to okay, yeah, what are you hiding? Welcome again to the Recover Yourself podcast. I'm your host Martin John, and that was my guest this week, Matt Bodet. This episode is taking a bit of a leap as Matt and I talk about recovering too as it relates to Matt's schizophrenia. Mental health is a huge component in our ability to both recover from and recover to. Matt, who's an artist, openly discusses mental health and his journey to embrace and care for himself as he is, regardless of what others expect him to be. Of course, I can't predict how you will decipher what others expect him to be in that previous statement, but I want you to think back to a time when people didn't believe you were capable of changing your situation. Those people, even if they were your counselor, could very well benefit from your failing and may have had an expectation of that happening. That's because they have an idea of what an addict is, and your failing would continue to feed that belief. But today, we're talking about schizophrenia. And you may put that in a totally different category as addiction. But I challenge you to challenge that. You see, the medical industry and the public in general, meaning even some of us, rely heavily on believing someone with schizophrenia acts and is a certain way. Those are assumptions we're making, and that's stigma in a nutshell. It's not unlike what we've experienced when we talk about addicts people who are in prison, or any number of other stigmatized groups. I hope as you listen, you're going to see the parallel conversations that can be had between Matt, who is vigilant about having control of his mental health, and the other guest I've had the pleasure of speaking with on this podcast. Um, I'm not even sure how to start this conversation. I don't even know, like, I mean, I guess we could start, like, when did you get your diagnosis? And, like, what did that do for you? You know, like, what did that inform you about? Because, again, you're not coming from traditional addiction background, but you're coming from a background of mental health diagnoses, if Mm -hmm. you will. I mean, I don't know how else to really describe it, but what is it your... Where did your journey start in terms of recovering from? See, so I was diagnosed uh, with schizoaffective disorder in 2005. So it was 15 years ago that uh, the diagnosis came. Right. Now, recovery was probably before that. Okay. Because, uh, I mean, things were going downhill before that. Right. Uh, in order to finally get to a place of diagnosis, there was... And what was going downhill? Like, what were you noticing that, that you were aware of that was like, oh, this is getting bad? I started noticing more hallucinations. Okay. Those were happening. Uh, anxiety was tremendous. Mm-hmm. And as well as the paranoia that kind of accompanied the anxiety. Uh, so some extreme paranoia. Um, down to sitting in a room where I was, I was working at the time and realizing that the room was moving Mm -hmm. and that probably wasn't real. (laughs) 
right. Right. Now, now, yeah, what did you do to deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> what did you do to deal with that? Like, like the the like 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 you didn't yet have a diagnosis, mm -hmm. and yet you were recognizing these things. How mm -hmm. did you? How did you? deal with your reality in that in in that environment at first i don't think i was i think it was trying to go about as if this was all normal and, and it was for you and yeah the perception is that yeah this is all very much real and, ha and happening uh, when i started to recognize that it wasn't real is when i immediately I was a student at the time, and so I went to our like on-campus health center, mm -hmm. and they're the ones that hooked me up with um, sort of a your diagnosis. Was... <laughs> yeah, they're the, they're the immediately got me in, and and there was a doctor on campus, a psychiatrist, mm -hmm. uh, who very quickly jumped in. The diagnosis, uh, the the first diagnosis was bipolar. Okay. And then it changed uh, as my circumstances became more um, nuanced. Okay. Um, things changed a little from there, but ultimately, most mental health diagnoses are fairly flexible. Right. <laughs> they do that on purpose, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm interested in talking about like the mental health industry with you and your journey of recovering too. Like, what are you recovering to now? Like, what, what, what are you looking forward to in terms of understanding your place in life today? I, I see myself working toward, <laughs> working toward unemployment. Um, Good. Yeah, that's, that's I, I had to work toward that. Like, we're, we're, um, we, you I'm, and I are on the same path. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually in, working towards unemployable. Like that's what I'm right. <laughs> I, I mean it perhaps in the sense of uh, that the dialogue that I'm trying to bring about is no longer, uh, there's, you don't need the prompt anymore. It becomes a natural part of society. It becomes the the thing that is no longer stigmatized. And so my role on what I'm doing is no longer completely necessary. So I'd say that, that my, my work right now is confronting those things and, and working towards how do we talk about mental health? How do we make it acceptable? How do we share the experiences that are actually much more commonplace than we know? Mm -hmm in a way that hopefully I don't have to do this for very long. <laughs> and so tell me, where was the demarcation for you, as you understand it, um, from recovering from to recovering to? Like, when did you realize that like, that which you were being told was not your story, but yours was very unique and individual and you had to move forward towards that? Yeah, I'd say the difference between recovering from and recovering to probably happened, uh, I want to say five years in. And, you know, because I think that for me, it was the first, the first couple of years of diagnosis that I had to reinvent my identity yeah. around a diagnosis mm -hmm. um, because that becomes this new, I don't know, 
they kind of destroy the foundation you thought you had and build a new foundation and then you have to start building on that and then uh you know about five years or so in i'm starting to realize that foundation is only like a fraction of my experience and, and not coming from you completely yeah right. i can't adequately let that hold the entirety of my structure right uh there's there's no way for it to and so it, it began and it, it began actually quite specifically uh when i started making artwork about it and people were confused <laughs> it's, why are you talking about this what do you you shouldn't be talking about this and it, right. and, and everything in me was saying no this is this is very much what i need to be doing uh, so there was a pretty dramatic shift there yeah and um how did you how did how did other people and how did you experience other people and how did other people experience you during that shift because in the rooms in aa and 12 step when you start talking about oh no i'm going <laughs> to I'm going to frequent bars or I am going to do these things that like I can't be held back because of dogma or, or ideas of what it looks like to be recovering from. And and when you're recovering too, like there is a well, well, I have to venture outside of this and explore me. And 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 so how did that sort of how did you experience others and how did other how did you experience others experiencing you, I suppose I should say? I think most common in terms of experiencing experience others experiencing me, yeah, the, it it occurred frequently when I would do artist talks, mm -hmm. and so I got feedback from those kinds of things. And so doing a talk around an exhibition and then having the opportunity to tell my story, and then the the feedback I would start to get from there. And so there was more or less two subsets of feedback. There's the group that was more conservative in their idea of what I should be talking about mm -hmm. and a little bit precautious of, are you sure you should be talking about that? Maybe this isn't the right place. You know, it could be triggering. There's other things. And then there's the other, which is dominantly people who either had diagnoses or loved ones had diagnoses, friends, anybody. Uh, who would come and say, oh my God, we can talk about this. Right. This is incredible. Mm -hmm. And in the opportunity finally to vocalize, and I don't think for mental health that we've had enough vocalization of stories to be able to prepare uh, the type of vocabulary for people to talk about. Right. Gray area. So we, we, as you know humans have created a history of black and white right we have like you are sick you are healthy you are normal you are you know like and we talk we talk endlessly about normal right and and that to me is like just i i want to throw it out the window i want to throw this like idea that there is a mm -hmm. normal out the window because there isn't right like there, yeah. there, there, that doesn't that doesn't exist so in terms of understanding gray area in between whatever you know like the extreme cases whatever those are you know um how do you experience that grace that gray area i know like for me i can see addiction 
in people that would never mm -hmm. like look at it like you know they're like no i never had an addiction while they're like you know eating another cheesecake this week right like i'm like all right you don't have an addiction but right. or you know someone that's like no i don't have an addiction i just spend like you know uh, i i just read seven books a month you know like and it's like well no, are, are you escaping something? Is that being used as an escape? And so I understand the gray in that. How do you understand gray, that gray space in terms of mental health? I definitely see gray space as the entirety of the existence of mental health. Um, and I, I very often when I have uh, artist talks or sort of feedback sessions, I offer a caveat to everything that uh, everybody in this room is crazy. Every one of you has a mental health issue. Right. Now, if we can, if we can just put that aside, we can start talking about the capacity for um, what it means to uh, have support systems, what it means to have access to care. Uh, you know, some of the bigger issue kinds of things. If we understand that we're all insane, then it comes down to okay, yeah, what are you hiding? What are you not willing to admit publicly? Right. And um, you know, I'm not. I'm not asking for people to admit it publicly, just to ad finally admit to themselves that yeah, okay, so I am. And and have a permission to accept that for a moment, because I think I think oftentimes if we accept that gray area, if we can accept just for a small moment that yeah, I've, I've got a little bit of a problem too then we can also accept that we need help and that other people also need help. And if everybody's crazy, then suddenly we all become more or less a support system for each other. We become, we become our own advocates uh, mm -hmm. and we have to rely on each other in a more substantial way. That's beautiful. Um, I, I like, is the, is the um, attention toward we're all crazy just about disarming and trying to, to build that conversation? Yeah, it's the, um, right, it's that little humor hatchet that breaks the ice. Okay, yeah. That, uh, that finally says, I see it, and it's okay. Right. And I'm the one up on stage making total nonsense. So really, you sitting in an audience is not gonna be any harmful. Um, and, and, and in some way, giving them permission to be on my team. Mm -hmm. to, to, to become aware of, of that which they haven't yet been aware of, but has been mm -hmm. in front of them, right? Like, and again, this is the same conversation, you know, like, when, you know, speak, you know, a, a lot of my audience, of course, is in, in uh, substance abuse and other things like that. So much of this conversation is so relevant, right? Like, it's mm -hmm. so relevant for us to be like, yes, you're an addict, right? Like I remember one time going to my doctor and she said, we're all addicts. We just like, some are more acceptable than others. How do you experience your life patterns today from that like 30,000 feet being able to be an observer rather than like that, that active sort of participant? One of the, let's say one of the biggest changes for sure, uh, having distance from was that early on in my diagnosis, I, I thought that being diagnosed with schizophrenia was a death sentence. Hmm. I thought that I was being dealt sort of the 
end all of my life. It was not in a, I'm going to die this way, but in that uh, all of the perceptions of schizophrenia were very bleak. Everything that was put on me was such a negative thing. Um, and who you know, put I even, it on you? I bought, I bought the stigma. Right. Oh. Uh, every, every representation I had seen of schizophrenia, you know, it's, it's, you're going to isolate, you're going to have all sorts of weird visions and everybody's going to think you're the freak in the room and nobody's really going to talk to you. You might even become a mass murderer. I mean, it wasn't, it was not something I felt proud of <laughs> for sure. Right. Uh, so now having some distance and starting to recognize that instead of uh, the attributes that I had been assigned, that the, what people put on me was what they wanted me to be so that they could fear it still because it wasn't them. And what I'm gaining in, in this perspective now in, in trying to move forward is a sense that uh, I have the capacity to and I have the capacity to do enact my own choices in my healthcare. I have, I have the choices, uh, which freak psychiatrists out. I want you to, I, cause, cause that, I mean, like you're living it. So, I mean, that is really clear. It is not clear to me what you're saying. Um, most mental health is, is, uh, a prescribed treatments. Um, it's a very regimented, you're going to take these medications, you're going to attend these meetings, you have to see a counselor or psychiatrist this many times, and they tell you in those meetings what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, and how to, how to keep being better and, and continue. Now, not to totally knock the system because there's some help in it, but that, uh, and I think you made the point earlier of, uh, my individual path cannot be homogenized. I, you can't just look at the DSM-4, the diagnostic manual, turn to page 230 and tell me what medications I need to take to become a better person. Yeah, because MAP-ODAT is not to page 230, right? Yeah, and to assume that that's the totality of the experience doesn't, doesn't mesh. Um, I personally don't take medications. Mm -hmm. um, that became a personal choice that most people are not okay with, but recognizing that the, the necessity for my life to take a certain route meant that I had to forego the sort of disastrous side effects of medication. And how long ago did you stop taking meds? Because I'm assuming that you took meds because, I mean, you, you got a diagnosis and it was five years before you were getting And so, like, and you've had it for 15 years. Like, this is a slow process of, of, of owning ourself and recovering yourself and all of that. So how long have you been off meds? Um, I have been off for maybe 10 years. Nice. Fuck all. Congratulations. Um, like, that's, an, that's, a, that's, that's huge. It's a, it's a big deal. For a long time, I wouldn't talk about it. You wouldn't talk I, about not being on medication. Not being on medication. Everybody mm -hmm. fears the schizophrenic not on medication. Right, 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 right. Um, and if you, want, if you want that cut, you can let me know. And I, can I actually don't mind. Okay. At this point, I don't mind. Um, 
partially because we have to understand that there are non-medical models for treating mental health, serious mental health. Right. Um, and that the and that recovery or healing is possible without medication. Now that said, I think it also has to be presented with the fact that medication can be necessary. Oh Some yeah, absolutely need it. And so I'm not anti psychiatric mm -hmm. medication. Mm -hmm. I am just making that choice for myself and knowing what I personally need to be the person that I want to be. Right. And, and, you know, like, and, and we're on the same line because like, and although it's not mental health, um, I have, I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And as soon as you get that diagnosis, you're on meds for the rest of your life. Yeah. After one year I got off and I would not tell somebody that they should get off or they can't use it or they shouldn't use it and whatever. Like, nope, it was my choice. That choice was made on an individual basis because I understood my body and what I was asking for. So yeah. like, you know, um, you know, I knock on wood, haven't had any problems since then. And I deal with my, my MS in, in a number of different ways, which, you know, you know, includes meditation and diet yeah. and like being around good exactly people. the same for me. Yeah. All of these things like, uh, you know, like, and, with those things, I felt in my body that the best choice for me was not taking meds. Now, if you're telling yourself, like, I don't want to take meds and continue taking them, that is, that, that, that's going to cause a little jarring in your system. Because again, you're mm -hmm. not listening to yourself. You're not like, but on the other hand, if you're like, well, he did it and I can do it and then get off your meds. That's going to cause a jarring in the system. Yeah, I think that there's a, a huge responsibility if you're making that choice. Yes. You have to be extraordinarily honest mm -hmm. with yourself uh, and, and what is actually happening. Right. Yeah, you, you can't lie. If you're, if you're going to lie to yourself, you're going to have the sort of relapses, the, the moments where you fall back into that psychosis because you weren't listening and being honest. So it's, it's an extraordinarily tricky and yeah. difficult area to live at first. But uh, I think if you come to terms with uh, personal honesty, it, you know, you start to build a new powerful uh, sort of foundation for yourself. Like the power that we talk about when we talk about like really recovering yourself and recovering to something is that like that, that connection to mm -hmm. all that you are that, and that connection that you have with others and your body and yourself and your soul or whatever, however we look at it. Um, what were some things you thought were never going to change in your life, but you're finding like that they're just falling away and changing? I've always had... Uh, a non-conformist bone in my body. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I've actually had much that has fallen away because I've always assumed that there, it just gets better. Mm -hmm. um, and so the change has never been a fear. The, the ability to let go of things and fluidly move into the next thing has never actually, for me, been... A difficult transition um in terms of thinking clearly and this this question is definitely related to this, this that last one um 
you know, every, I mean, if we, if we take stock every year, we, we are thinking more clearly every year, unless we're on a path of, you know, lying to ourselves or destruction or whatever, you know, like, um, and then we don't take the, we don't take stock in, are we thinking clearly, uh, is, are my thoughts, um, actually my thoughts or are they coming from somewhere else? Right? Like, how do you face that day to day or how do you face that in terms of like what thoughts are yours how are how do you know that you're thinking clearly like and how do you and how are you what is your relationship to thinking clearly this is a funny question for schizophrenia ah uh, yeah well, I'm, I'm realizing that <laughs> because uh the sense of reality is entirely fluid um and so I have had to come to terms with um, not everything's real. Mm -hmm. And that's actually totally fine. But I've also, um, I have a career that allows for an expression of that reality to occur in, a, in an environment which is productive and useful. So I can present this information and say, here's this experience now I can back away from it and actually question it and talk about it mm -hmm. because I put it out and it becomes a physical reality of its own because it now is embodied in a visual or performative aspect of something. And so I can experience that. Art also has the funny, the conundrum of ever like what's ever original. Right. We're at the point in art history where we're questioning originality and so I think too, to, to examine it from both the artistic and the, the schizophrenic or mental health perspective to say there's permission in not having to be original. It's, it's uh, a quest for authenticity. I, I can, I can not be original, but am I at least being authentic to myself? Right. Right. Um, and so knowing that, okay, so I might be having delusions and maybe hallucinations and they might be rooted in, um, I, I don't experience this, but just as an example, um, maybe it's rooted in a TV show or a movie that I saw and I'm having hallucinations regarding you know, the situation that I saw. It's not original. It's not necessarily, um, maybe not even be unique, but uh, how do I address it in a way that is authentic to my own experience. And, I, and it comes back to the honesty, right? How, how honest are we with ourselves about um, kind of that environment that we build around us that says, does this experience actually hold weight? If not, I can still experience it, mm -hmm. but I have to know that it, it doesn't hold the weight that I thought it did. I can, I can give myself the permission to have hallucinations, to have delusions, but if I know what they are, they don't hold power over me. Right, right. They don't, they're, they're not pulling the strings. Mm -hmm. I can experience it for what it is and then move on with other things. Mm -hmm. So there's, a, there's an aspect of that, I think, that 
more or less answers your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we don't, answering a question is, is like a, a questions are just there to kind of spur and move conversation. It's not, I, I have no, I have no real requirement to, for an answer, for a question to be answered when I ask it, because mm -hmm. like it might just move into another direction. And, and something that you had said, which was really great, and, and something that I think, you know, again, outside of schizophrenia, <laughs> like when we talk about like people with addictions and stuff, you know, we, we always get to this place where it's just like, oh, things really changed, right? Like, like I thought, like, because I was under the power of alcohol, like I was, I was not thinking as clearly as I used to. And, and so now, like, oh my God, not only, not only did my whole, did everything kind of shift. Um, in terms of like, did you ever kind of drink the Kool-Aid of mental health? Um, like in terms of like, this is how you're going, like, I mean, when you got your diagnosis, like you had a belief system that said you were never going to be whatever that was. Right. And, and then that had to kind of shift. Um, so, so what, what, how did, how did that transition? And did you ever kind of like, oh my God, like realize that one day, like you no longer were drinking that Kool-Aid? I mean, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I think there were a series of things that I noticed along the way. Um, and you may or may not relate to this one. It's, uh, and I, we sort of talked about this the other time on the phone, but uh, my experiences with group therapy, hmm. uh, where it was, it was prescribed that uh, I go to these group therapy sessions and I hated it. Uh, it. It wasn't an environment that felt like what I needed. Um, I would sit with these, these groups and it was often, there wasn't much structure to them. And so it was a lot of, uh, it became like an emotional dump site. And I felt like I was leaving with somebody else's truckload of stuff. And there, there was never necessarily a contemplative moment to address what you're dumping. Right. And other people aren't leaving with it. And that was a moment where I realized, okay, what's being prescribed is not for me but they're requiring me to go. So how do I manage this? Uh, so I think that there were several things like that. How did that you manage that? Like that's, 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 again, endlessly fascinating. How did you do that? Like, what did you do to, to like, because when you start dealing with the, uh, the health industry, not just mental health, right? Like when you start dealing with doctors and insurance and other shit like that, like, how do you get around their poor advice or poor prescriptions, like whatever? Right. Um, part of it was me just being defiantly me, and I just said no. No oh, good. Yeah. And they said <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, they. I think. Uh, I feel bad in some ways for some of the people that I've had to cross paths with because I think that they then have to come up with something else to justify my decision mm. medically, right? Like to, uh, to fulfill insurance or um, sort of the quota thing that they have, uh, whatever that is. Uh, we had to find workarounds. They had to find workarounds. I just was like, I'm not doing it. I can't do that. 
not going to work. Nice. nice. And um, I, I think through that too, I also found that professionals are wrong. Oh yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Fuck all but, right. <laughs> but we don't talk about, we don't, we just assume authority has the position to make things better based on their experience without realizing that their experience is limited. You're living with this. They yeah. read about it. Like, yeah. There's a big difference there. There is a huge difference. And, and so I think that that kind of comes back to some of what we're talking about in terms of uh, just recognizing that within that was the capacity to heal. Yeah. And I realized I, I gave them permission to be wrong. Mm -hmm. And I gave myself permission to make choices based on they're giving me some information. It may or may not be right. Right. I'm willing to give some of it a shot because they do have certain experience that I don't. But I don't have to. I don't have to prescribe to it all the time. Nice. That is awesome. Um, and why do you think did they concede and help you? I think I have a feeling that there are multiple reasons. Um, I'm not going to lie, and I think that part of it is financial. They, they need a patient. Mm -hmm. They need patients in order to have a practice. So I, I assume part of that is maintaining uh, a healthy patient doctor. Like, I need you and you need me. Um, I did have a series of people who I felt like uh, had my back to a certain degree where they realized I'm not doing what's prescribed totally. I'm also not out to harm myself by not doing it. I'm actually looking for a, a, a path forward. So I think that they recognized that I wasn't doing it out of a vindictive, um, just to be a, a you know, thorn in their side. Mm -hmm. I was doing it in a, from a place of, I genuinely want to be better. And this is honestly like, I'm making this choice now. So either you're with me or you're not. Right. And sadly there are, um, you know, I had, I have had uh, breakdowns here in Chicago and I've gone to health uh, professionals here and they will refuse service if I don't follow their, mm -hmm prescribed method and I have to tell them I'm, I'm not willing to take medication and they said well then we can't offer you services um, so you know there's a there's a handful of things I think that the people who stuck around with me in the beginning recognized that I was doing it out of a place of uh, personal interest in being healthy again right um, you know definitions of healthy so I'm, I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at the other questions. Are there any questions on here that you felt were really re would really resonate with you or did resonate with you? Like, because um, uh, I know, like, as I started asking the thinking clearly question, I was like, this is a really strange question for you to be able to like address. Um, but it's a really pertinent. Uh, yeah. You know, the maybe the context was slightly different in the reading of the question, but the the 
content is actually we don't talk about that with schizophrenia we don't often talk about um clearly yeah the the how do you know you're right (laughs) how do you know you're right (laughs) well right no and that's the thing when you said like there are things that i'm experiencing that are not true i was just like yeah like I know that about my life, right? Like, well, and you look at sort of the conditioned reality of social media, that entire world is not real. Right. And yet we, we, we put so much stock in, in what happens there that we, we presume it's real. Um, and then we, we presume, uh, or belie sort of our, um, emotional state based on that reality and the more we invest in it the more it has to be real because we can't accept right. the break of it uh, because then that means that the, the the what i've invested might not be real um but when we when we understand that uh our identity is not built on that reality mm-hmm. the experiences i had there can still be real they just might not be as tied to my mental health or my physical health or my emotional health in the way that I had originally anticipated. Yeah, and previously again, thought, right, yeah. Yeah, suddenly it doesn't have the power. Right. I gain power again, which I don't, I don't think most people are accustomed to. So, I mean, you're real, um, and you have been, it sounds like, real uh, self-aware. And that is a real big part of your, uh, your healing or your work or whatever, right? Like, you're, you're, you're just aware of what's kind of going on in your life. And, and were there stages in, you know, since your diagnosis or maybe before or whatever, where, where you were actually surprised at some growth that you made? Where like all of a sudden, like something happened, you said something or did something where you were just like, oh, I actually have more than I, than, than I had given myself credit for until yeah. this moment. I think that as I was working artistically on different projects, uh, especially early on, the projects were built around sort of symptoms that I was experiencing. How do I represent them in a, in a visual form or something like that. And that would mean in order to understand the physical form, in order to represent it visually, I had to really take stock of what it felt like right. and, and start doing this process. And it wasn't until a bit later on that I recognized that having done that led to an ability to recognize the symptoms before they happen. Mm. And suddenly, again, when I start to feel a specific thing in a specific part of my body, I know that's going to be anxiety. Mm-hmm. And now I have to catch it early. And now you now, what do you mean by now you have to or now you can? Or what's the um, if I don't want to slip into a state of anxiety, which leads for me to paranoia and then hallucinations? Um, I, at that point, need to say I'm going to back away socially. I'm going to take some time to myself for a moment so that I don't start slipping on this, you know, uh, slope that leads to 
other things, which eventually may or may not mean I lose control mm-hmm. over sort of the physical aspects of what's going on. Is this something that you think will never change? Or is this something that you expect to change? I don't imagine it will change. Okay. Um, only because it is uh, sort of the physical presence of something in my brain. Like it, it doesn't necessarily change. Mm-hmm. I think that what ends up changing is my ability to understand it which then gives me tools like recognizing the anxiety before it becomes a bigger uh, problem for me. Um, I think it just slowly becomes this tool belt that I build for myself that says, here are all the things you need to get through it when it happens. And, you know, you you lose the fear Mm -hmm. that that went along with it. Right. Suddenly, and it, you know, there's the difference with um, what you were talking about in that there is a slippery slope and I, I can recognize what triggering things I do have. Social gatherings are difficult when I start to have, um, when, when I'm in a room with so much sound that it starts to mimic hallucinations, it, it becomes difficult and I have to back away. Um, so I, I, I can recognize those things. I'm not afraid of them per se. I just know when I need to step away. Call it a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, like, and, you know, I, I, I again, just kind of bringing this back to addiction and whatnot, because again, this is, that's my wheelhouse and, and, and what have you. Um, you know, I hear this and I'm like, you know, is this um, is this changeable over time? Where it's like, yes, there is like, you know, even in addiction, in, in addicts, we talk about it being a disease. We talk about it being in the brain. We talk about like all of that language mm-hmm. was once a very commonplace in addiction yeah. and everything that you said. And so as we have more and more people speaking out, are we changing the consciousness of the brain? Mm-hmm. Are we changing the consciousness of, of, of people and, and things on the earth? And so like, I am, I am like, I'm looking at what you're saying and saying, there'll be change. Maybe you'll be one of the first people to like be, be embarking on that change. Right. And so you might not be able to express the fruits of your labor, but, but, um, <laughs> so I, I, and for the rest of mankind are grateful for the work that you're doing in terms of like really owning yourself and not being a victim to your, um, to your diagnosis or, or whatever. Cause that like, that's huge. And like recovering who you are, who Matt is and, and, and what that, what that is going to look like is the work that that you're putting in and i'm really grateful for that so thank you yeah thank you yeah i want to thank matt for sharing with us and going out on a limb trusting me and talking about all of this in such a new way if you want to learn more about matt and his journey through schizophrenia visit his website mattbodet.com you can find links to that and other things that he's doing in the description of this episode. Consider heading over to anchor.fm and supporting this podcast. There you can also leave me a message which I'd love to receive because all comments and criticism are welcomed. If you are someone in long-term sobriety and can relate to the Recover Yourself idea, reach out to me through my website or on social media. 
Once again, this is the Recover Yourself Podcast, and I am your host, managing long-term sobriety, Martin John. Until next time, keep recovering yourself.